0: As I begin this morning, I ask that you open your Bibles up to Philippians 1, 12 through 18. That's where we're going to be parking in today. And I want to talk for a few moments this morning about something that's so vital and yet so simple. It's so familiar to us that that is what becomes the danger. I want our session this morning to be something that will make a difference in our lives and not something that will just fill us with more information about God. And I pray that by His grace, we can have a fresh communion with God about this very specific topic. So please join me in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we are not speculating about who you are because you have revealed yourself through your word and through your son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I humbly ask that you please guide me with the words you've given me to say today. May they bring glory to you, encourage and or convict the congregation, and allow them to see through a new perspective for perhaps the very first time. Amen. So about 12 years ago, um, my wife and I were expecting our very first child. And as many of you here today know the routine, we got very excited, we called our friends and family, we had many sleepless nights, tons of prayer, of thanksgiving, and also for safety for the baby, and what the future may hold. But quickly thereafter, we prepared. We began to prepare for the baby. So we picked out a room for the nursery. We painted it. Um, do you guys remember that time, that, that anxious, exciting expectation of what is to come? Single people, you have no clue what's happening, so pay attention because you'd have a few nuggets. It'll help you out in the future. So we picked out the crib. We even started buying baby onesies. And You looked at the feet. You couldn't fathom that feet could be that small and you made little cuckoo sounds, which most men don't do, but you will do it, young teenage men, you will coo over little feet. It will happen. But then came the choice of the stroller, and it was like picking cough medicine. There was like a billion to choose from, and did you pick a new one or an old one? Well, an old one could kill. Oh, An old, an old stroller might kill our child, so we have to go with a new one. And then do we go with a single stroller or double stroller? It could be twins. We could just start popping out babies, who knows? How much cargo space do we really need? And the answer is a lot. And now you're actually reading reviews on strollers. Strollers take up so much of your thought life, it's disturbing. And for you car people, you may know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden you're like, we gotta buy a new truck. And you think back to the old 67 Chevy you had, and you think longingly about that truck. And You say, oh, there's my old one, my 2004. And you see someone else with the newest truck. Wait a minute, that's the demo model. That's four years out. How did they even get that? And everywhere you look is strollers and trucks. The reason I share the story with you, and I want you to think about that, is for the last two years, I've been on the path to become a pastor. And so much of my time is dedicated to that. I read books on pastoral ministry. I've been researching the fallen pastors as well as those who have endured. Why churches split or dissolve what burdens the ministry has on a man and his family? What goes into making a sermon in different sermon styles, as well as so many other different things? And it's, amazingly, it's amazing to see how differently I view everything in my world because of that. I view my own pastor differently. I hear sermons differently. And certain things I've heard from pastors firsthand fill me with joy, hope and excitement for what is potentially coming in my future, and yet other things grieve me so deeply. The gift of preaching and the role of pastors has become so familiar to us that if I was to ask you, what is the role of a pastor and what is the role of a preacher, what would you say? Are they different? Isn't that one and the same? Some churches even question this and they say, do we even need preachers anymore? Can't we all just get together and share what we think the word says? Or does it still need to be proclaimed? Each week throughout the world, pastors are studying the Bible, spending time in prayer, writing sermons, counseling couples, visiting the sick, officiating weddings, dedicating babies, answering theological and moralistic questions, They spend so much of their time helping people through the darkest, most painful moments of their lives and doing all of that while trying to maintain a family life at home. And being a pastor and preacher, you never get to clock out. You get the calls at two in the morning. My mom's about to die and she doesn't know Jesus. Can you come? We may lose our baby today. We need prayer. It doesn't matter what time. The pastor's on call. In a recent poll, which was done in 2021, it said one in three pastors have seriously considered quitting the ministry. 90% of pastors never make it to retirement. 61% of the churches have fired their pastors. 83% of pastors' wives want their husband to leave the ministry. 50% of pastors indicate that they would leave the ministry if they had another way to make money. 90% of pastors report working 55 to 75 hours a week. 80% believe that the ministry has had a negative effect on their families. And I have a lot more stats after that. But the last one I want to share is 27% of pastors report not having anyone to turn to for help in a crisis situation. In the first part of the passage we're going to read this morning, Paul speaks about the pains of being a pastor. So if you look at Philippians 1, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Note where Paul says, what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so the first question we should ask is, what is he talking about? What? is he talking about? Well, Paul was preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who was prophesied about hundreds of years prior. Jesus is the one who came to reconcile man and God. Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God and God himself, that he was crucified for our sins, raised three days later by God to show his victory over sin and death. And for saying all of that, Paul has had a rough go of it, to say the least. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five 25 through 28, Paul shares what that has been like, what, what has happened to him over the last little while, and all those stats I've already shared seem rather meager compared to what he went through. He shares, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of the anxiety for all the churches." He boasts that all of that has has been to advance the gospel. How could that possibly go to advance the gospel? And he goes on to tell us it is because throughout the whole imperial guard, all the guards are talking about Paul, and Paul is now talking about Jesus. Paul has a very captive audience because outside of most cells, there's a guard, guard, cell, right there. And even in some circumstances, they would be chained right to the prisoner. So Paul has a very captive audience. So when the guard or Paul starts to complain that the chains are heavy, Paul can now lay it on really thick. These chains are heavy, but not like the chains of sin and death. Have you heard about Jesus? Let me tell you. He breaks the chains of sin and death. And he frees the captives to a new life in him, and that's just on Monday. And this guard has a whole week with Paul, and Paul can just keep laying it on and sharing the gospel. And I think there are times he had a lot of fun with it. But can you also imagine Paul in prison for a moment? If you want to close your eyes and think about this, he's in a cold, damp cell carved out of stone. No visitors, very little food, no blanket, shivering to sleep each night, and yet, what is on his mind? It's Jesus. Jesus and the churches that he's planted. And so how are they doing? And that's what he's writing about today. Well, apparently, they're proclaiming the gospel more boldly than ever before because of Paul, because of his choices, his actions, and his testimony has far-reaching effects. And if you don't think that they did, here we are 2,000 years later, still talking about Paul, who's talking about Jesus. In 2,000 years, no one is going to be quoting me, but we are talking about Paul. Knowing what happened to Paul and the stats I shared earlier, why would any man still sign up to be a pastor? Why is it important for us today to continue to preach the word, to keep proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ? It's because of this book. This amazing book, that God wrote. It is a revelation, a revelation about who he is, what he's done, what he's currently doing, and how it's all going to end. This is the book about the living God, and his name is Jesus Christ. At the beginning of your book, in the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God. This is not a book about you and how you can have your best life ever how God can get you all of your glory and have people worship you. Rather, this is God's earth-shattering account of how relentless he has pursued you and all previous generations, not because of how wonderful you are, but because of how amazing, loving, merciful, patient, righteous, sovereign, and grace-filled he is. This is about God, the only God, who knew that you were going to be his enemy with thought, word, and deed. And he declared he would send his son to die for you, to bring you back into relationship with him. This is the book about the God who changes lives from the inside out for those who would bend their knee and call Jesus Christ their Lord, King, and Savior. But with all of that said, we don't worship the book We worship the man this book is about. And his name is Jesus. And he's the reason that we're here today. Person after person, and there's so many of you here today who have made that declaration, could testify about how Jesus has changed their lives. And for some of you, it was a monumental shift, day and night. But for some of you, you're just starting out and the changes are microscopic, but they're there. And I want to just say, You're in for an amazing ride. My shifts were were monumental, but they took years. And what I am today, and how Jesus has shaped me, is nowhere close to once to who I'm who I once was. Some of you, as you're going through this and pursuing Jesus, you're learning how to pray. You're reading your Bible. You're confessing sins for the first time. You're forgiving others. You may have even joined a small group or weekly prayer meeting. And some of you perhaps are leaning towards the more intellectual side of Christianity. You're learning theology, church history, maybe even ancient languages. Or you could teach a class. This amazing jewel of Christianity has so many different facets and how the Holy Spirit chooses to work in you is is completely unknown to anyone except for the Holy Spirit. But for some of us, it does go a step further. There are some who are then compelled to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ as a preacher. And it's a calling. This calling comes upon the man, and it is unshakable. One of my favorite pastors is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor in the 1930s, and he fought against his calling for over two years. He was a medical doctor. He had a very successful practice, and he said... I don't want to do this. I've already set up my life. I'm planted, I'm rooted, and I don't want to send it into upheaval. So he shares his experience like this. You are certain of the call when you are unable to keep it back and resist it. You try your utmost to do so. You say, no, I shall go on with what I'm currently doing. I'm able to do it, and it's good work. You do your utmost to push back and rid yourself of this disturbance in your spirit which comes in these various ways, but you reach the point when you cannot do so any longer. It almost becomes an obsession, and so overwhelming that in the end you say, I can do nothing else, and I cannot resist any longer. Now, some of you may have felt a a passion or a desire to go into the fields that you have chosen, such as A nurse or a farmer or maybe even into the military, but have you ever gone into that career with equal passion and a resistance to go into it? That's what it's like to go into ministry. If I could give you a glimpse as to what it's been like for me, I would say this. While spending time in prayer or reading my Bible, I have my eyes opened, my spirit is convicted or my heart is grieved, I'm lost in loving awe of God, and my mind is blown away. And my immediate reaction is, I've got to tell somebody about this. Now, I'm sure many wiser people than I have seen this, and they've read it before me. But I still wonder if there are people who haven't. And that's where my heart is going. Because while I was raised in a Christian home, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I had the religion. I had the morals. But it wasn't a, I didn't have a relationship. And so when I see these things that could help someone have a relationship with God, it fires me up. And so I pause and ask, is there more to this text than what I just read? And there is. So to my commentaries, I will go. And I read all the commentaries I can get my hands on. But do those have footnotes? Oh, they do. And so I go to the footnotes, and I just start nerding out. And then I ask, have my favorite pastors ever preached on this? And often they have. And so do they have sermon notes and possible other references? And I get all the information, and I want to share all of that with everybody, but that's so nerdy and slow that no one would ever sit and listen to me. But I heard a great pastor say, I study to make it simple. And it's so true that now when I hear sermons and the pastor says, well, in Ephesus, the people were like blank." And in Jerusalem, the poorest of the poor live like blank. Those one or two sentences take hours of research between so many different resources, and the pastors do that to make it simple. Because if they were just to start reading from commentaries, like no one would show up. And so the pastors do that, and that's what it's like to have this calling, this overwhelming obsession that just doesn't go away. And the only thing left to do is to submit to it and leave it in God's hands. But Mike, what should a pastor be doing? I'll tell you since you asked, you're welcome. If you would flip with your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, I think we can get an excellent glimpse of what a preacher should aim for in his work. So 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul gives this fantastic mission statement. And I believe that this should be used for those who would come after him, who who are pursuing a calling in pastorship. In coming to you, brothers and sisters, I come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, not according to excellence of word or wisdom. For I decided not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and this one crucified. I come to you in weakness and in much fear and trembling. My my word and proclamation are not in persuasive words of human wisdom, but by the demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I sincerely would consider my life well spent if I could preach, live, and die like the Apostle Paul, full of the Holy Spirit. I say that because without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Paul could not have written what he just did, Would it not be the most amazing thing that could be said of any one of us here today when we die? Here lies Joe Kaler. He was a man who sacrificially loved his wife and kids. Tear. He was known as a scripture-saturated man of God who died full of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Nice. But happily, Joe is not dead, so if you get a chance to talk with Joe, please do. He's awesome. But I want you to see here that here Paul is not even trying to impress anyone with clever words or how perfect he parses the Greek. He doesn't show you how many degrees he's earned in seminary. He doesn't care. He's talking about Jesus, praying to Jesus, repenting of sin to Jesus, and anything good that comes, he gives that glory to God. My family and I have been so blessed to be calling this church home. Here in this church, we've seen that the Bible is held in the highest regard. And the source of any preacher's authority who comes up here, as we just read, is not their own wisdom. Nor is it that they or I have a private revelation granted to us beyond the words of Scripture. My words and that of any other preacher only have authority as long as we are repeating, explaining, and sharing proper application of what Scripture says. I only have authority when I stand under the authority of Scripture. And it gets very dangerous when you see pastors do the opposite. My deep conviction about preaching is that a pastor must show the people what he's saying has already been implied in the Bible, And if it cannot, it has no special authority. When you and I come to church, here's what we're saying in effect. Preacher, I know what the TV says. I watch that every day. I know what the bloggers have to say. I read them every day. I know what's trending on the internet. I know who's important and who's not, who's being canceled and who's trending. But what I want to know is, does God have anything to say? If God has anything to to say, tell us what that is. That is why we're here. And I pray that you would all have that attitude when you come to church. Each week when you guys come to church, come with these burning questions. You may want to write them down. Pastor, what has God laid on your heart this week? What has the Spirit of God been saying to you about us? while you've been studying and in prayer. What does Jesus want for us? What is Jesus calling us to do in this church body? Oh, and while you're at it, Pastor, can you please tell us more about Jesus? It always really freaks me out when we come to church, and some weeks we can go an entire sermon and never mention the gospel. We don't talk about Jesus. It's a completely moralistic sermon. We're here to talk about Jesus. If you want to flip back to Philippians One, we're going to look at the second part of our scriptures this morning. And here Paul contrasts two different types of preachers. So picking up in verse 15, it says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to affect me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. See, there are two different kinds of preachers. Those who do it out of love for Jesus, a love for the whole Bible, and I will stress the whole Bible. They have a devotion to truth. These are preachers and pastors who are pursuing humility, teachability, In the approval of the audience of one, Jesus Christ. The latter think that they can do it better than the ones who are actually doing it. We call that a Monday morning preacher. Someone who watches on Sunday and then critiques the whole thing. Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have said it that way. That's not the tone I would have used. Have you ever written a sermon? Have you ever done a sermon? No, but that's not the way I would have done it. They think that they can do it better than someone who's actually been in the trenches. Some people pursue becoming a pastor because they believe it's an easy indoor job with no heavy lifting. Like we have to move the chairs a lot, but other than that, there's really no heavy lifting. They want the prestige and the status that comes with that title. And in today's world, it actually comes with celebrity status, big salaries and book deals. But to keep it, you have to compromise. You've got to keep the people happy. And if they don't like what they hear, they're going to fire you, and they got 20 more guys willing to appease them. These people-pleasing preachers have given rise to the consumer Christian. And some of you may have thoughts like this, whether you say it out loud or just even quietly within your heart, and I've been guilty of thinking these things at times myself, and I really hope that no one here has that. Where you say, okay, Pastor, you've got 30 minutes or less to make me feel good about my life. I don't want the hard words from God. I don't want the convicting stuff, the verses that call me to repent, to see how wicked and depraved I actually am in comparison to Jesus. Don't presume to tell me I'm not on the throne, but that Jesus is. Watch your tone. Don't raise your voice, don't get passionate. Don't ask me to engage in anything in the church and make no reference to my money. I want a 20-minute sermon now because you've already annoyed me. You just lost 10 minutes. You have 20 minutes now, and I want a feel-good moralistic message about love, joy, peace, abundant living, and prosperity. Which version is more accurate to the way you've been thinking about your pastor and your church? There can be so much infighting within the body of Christ. And growing up, I knew that there were different churches. Growing up, like, oh, there's a church and there's a church. And what church is that? That's a Lutheran church. And that one over there is super fancy. That's the Catholic church. And I knew that there were different churches. But I always just assumed, well, they all just love Jesus and we're all on the same team. And there's no anger, is there? Till I went to Bible school. And I learned how ridiculous and nitpicky the fractions can actually be. And I'll illustrate it to you like this. Once upon a time, I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. Nobody loves me. God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, me too. And we shared a nod of, you know, connection. Protestant or Catholic? Protestant. Me too. What denomination? He said he's a Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. We exchanged phone numbers. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. And we made plans to have lunch the following weekend. Northern conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region or Northern conservative Baptist, Eastern Eastern region. He said, Northern conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, I said, me too, and we decided to spend Christmas together. Northern conservative Baptist region, Council of 1879, or northern conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. He said, obviously, Northern conservative Baptist, Great Lakes region, Council of 1912. I said, die heretic and I pushed him over. Today, I want you to see that there are two kinds of preachers and two kinds of hearers. Those that do so with a sincere thirst for the truth of the unchanging word of God, whether it offends them or not. Because that unchanging truth softens hearts, leads to repentance and a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. The latter prefer to coincide with the truth of the day. Let's just take a poll and see what the majority of society says is truth. Now, knowing that, Pastor, we want, you the, we want you to get the Bible to say that. Let's look at verse 18. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Oddly enough, that gives me hope. And here's why. Pretense means an inadequate or insincere attempt to, to attain a certain condition or quality. That even on a preacher or pastor's worst day, when Satan is bringing a perfect storm to distract his focus, to destroy his family, to stir up division within the church, if he is doctrinally sound, Christ will be lifted up. His delivery... Maybe less than world class. His passion may not be enough to get the amens and the amens he's used to hearing. But was Jesus lifted up that Sunday? Did you hear what God had laid on his heart? Did you really hear it? And I tell you this that now that I've preached a small handful of sermons, I'm still under five, I'm hoping to finish the one hand one day. Each and every one has affected me to the core of my being. And any preacher who has really taken the time to marinate on that week's scripture can tell you the same. You can't. I'm telling you, you just can't spend that much time in the Word of God and not have it affect you. The first sermon I ever did, I kid you not, was on the depravity and the totality of sin. It took me seven weeks to write it, because that's how much time the church gave me. It's like, hey, take your time, you're new at this. So seven weeks, I'm reading about how horrible I am. I'm reading it over and over in different translations, plus the commentaries, praying through the verses for the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and guidance. I'm getting advice from wiser men than myself on how to write a sermon and how to deliver it to a congregation. And the more I learned on that vast topic of sin, the more I saw how vast the chasm was between Jesus and myself. It was an insanely humbling seven weeks. The second one I ever did was also in Ephesians on the topic of biblical roles and responsibilities. And that made me happy because I love my marriage, and I knew that when I preached on what scripture has to say about what men and women are to do and how they're going to act and how they should act in marriage as it, reflects, as it is a reflection of their relationship to Jesus, I knew no one could ever be offended by such a topic. And, it went, and actually, it went exceedingly well. But again, going through that, amount of, that small chunk of text for so long and having it go deep within me, brought me to my knees time and time again. And now I'm in a church preaching to people who have preached before me and other pastors on the topic of preaching and pastors. And so I wanted you to today feel what it's like to be in a church from this side of the pulpit, to understand the reasons that we have to hold preaching in such high regard. I want you to see the struggles that Paul went through what he rejoiced about, and what it's like for pastors and preachers today. In light of the scriptures we've read today, what do you think about your heart attitude towards the church? Do you guys come to be served? By the music team, by the preacher, by the building? And afterwards, do you critique it? Do you give it a review on the way home, or even now as I'm preaching? Well, the band was lackluster. The tempo was off, the slides were boring, the message was so lame, and I didn't like his tone. Again, the tone and the coffee. Well, you guys know how church coffee is. The final stat I want to share with you guys today is the number one, pa- the number one reason pastors leave the ministry. The congregation is unwilling to go the same direction as the pastor. Pastors wholeheartedly believe that they are doing what God has asked them to do. If you ask any pastor, they will say, this isn't my church, it's his church. And the pastor, along with the board of elders, spends so much time in prayer seeking his will. But yet the congregations, or a chunk of them, are unwilling to follow him. Pastors don't want to spend their time up here just filling your head with knowledge, for scripture says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And when your pastor calls you individually and corporately to act, act. Go where he's taking you. If you are a Christian, and especially if you're a member here at this church, when you're planted, get involved and find a place where you can help. As soon as my wife and I and our family have ever become a member of a church, we try to find a place to volunteer. We usually believe we're part of the problem. We're usually the major source of the problem in the church, so we want to be the ones to try to fix it. We always say that Jesus' church is perfect. It's the people who show up who ruin it. And we think that's so true. So if you're here and you're a member, find a place to help and make it better. Um, off my page here, I was, I was once uh, in charge of men's ministry at my last church, and a guy came up and said, I hate men's ministry. I said, fair enough. (laughs) We all have things to improve on. What, What is it you'd like to help with? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you're unhappy about it and there are things you want to change. How are you going to help change it? He said, I'm not going to help change it. You fix it. See how his heart attitude was wrong? Don't come to me with half a thing. Come with a plan, even if the plan is something you're completely incapable of doing, but come with a plan to help. If I said, the finances are all screwed up, and someone's like, well, then you fix the finances. Well, I stink at finances, so let's hire an accountant. The plan is to hire an accountant. But don't come and just critique and complain and whine. Come with a plan. Come to help. Be part of the solution. One of the most grievous things I ever heard a person say to a pastor was, and this was firsthand, I was here before you, and I will be here long after you're gone. I pray that no one would ever say that to another man of God. So I'm imploring you guys here today to pray for your pastor. And if you're a note taker, write some of these down. Pray that he and his family would be at peace. That his sermon prep would go well. That he would feel loved and appreciated. Again, when you see a guy putting in 55 to 75 hours a week, And then his reaction is, not good enough? That he wouldn't be alone. Who's his mentor? Who are his best friends? Does he have a good group of guys to help him out? It's an an immense burden for a guy to hold on to and carry. Is he alone? That he would sleep well. And I can tell you, preparing each and every one of these sermons, I am destroyed the night before. I'm praying for my tone, my pace for your hearts, for my attitude. I'm, I'm a mess the night before. So pray that your pastor would sleep well because he's doing this week in, week out. Pray for protection from the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. One of my previous pastors took the men aside before church one day, all, all the guys in the guy group, and he just took us all to the side. And it's like he had enough. And he was like, guys, I'm begging you. Would you please pray for me? It feels like I'm fighting the mist. It was like the most raw and honest thing I ever heard the guy say. But he was just crying out for help. Pray for your pastors. Here's some Monday through Saturday prayer ideas also for, for all of you. Pray for your heart before you come and hear the message. And this is one I learned probably about three or four years ago because I was just gurring over the messages, because I always was feeling, these are just moralistic, where's Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And I was getting really bitter Sunday after Sunday. And then I heard another sermon from another pastor, and he said that. Do you even pray for your heart before the message? Do you ever think Jesus heard a bad message growing up? He wasn't in a big town. He didn't have the best of the pastors. He probably had a part-time pastor at best. Do you think he ever sat there thinking that was butchered? That wasn't in context. But do you think he could still have found something that is praiseworthy, that did give glory to God and to be gracious and thankful for it? Pray for your hearts as you come to hear the message. Spend time studying and or just reading the scriptures in advance. This is one I love to do now, if I get to find out. Sometimes Dan is on the fly, and I don't know what's coming, but if you guys know we're going through a whole series, like if we ever do Luke from beginning to end, spend time coming prepared. Oh, oh, this is the part where Jesus gets in the cemetery and helps the guy who breaks the chains. Ah! And you get so excited. If you're actually caring about the verses ahead of time, it completely changes how you hear the message. Next, pray for other pastors and preachers that you know about. It's not just about us here in this building, but the global message of Jesus being proclaimed. One of our favorite uh, churches is actually in an island in the middle of nowhere, northern Scotland, and it's called Shetland. It's New Life Shetland. And when we were having a hard time uh, at our church, we tuned into them for like a month, month or two, and every week we would pray for that pastor and his congregation And pray for other pastors. They need your prayers too. And for those of you who want a challenge, I know some weeks everyone, the pastor has to be like, I might challenge to all of you. This is a challenge for a few of you who are actually willing to take this one up. Write a sermon. Try to write a sermon. It will completely warp your brain about what it's like to be up here. Pick a section of scripture and go all in. Study it. It's context with the surrounding verses. Then all of those verses within the whole book. Then that book within the whole context of the entire Bible. Where does it all fit? It's historical context. Are there other difficult sections in that text that needs further explanation and draw it out? Now you have to also consider your audience. And in every step, pray through it all. Trying to write a sermon will change you in phenomenal, phenomenal ways. And what you write may never be shared publicly, and it's not even the point. The point is to get the Scripture into you, like into your marrow, so that it affects you the rest of your life. Spending all those weeks on marriage and roles and responsibilities has warped my, my, my views of what it is to be a husband and father. Because I'm not just a husband and father. I'm a husband in Christ. I'm a father in Christ. And how does that look? And how am I acting it out when my kids see me? Do they see me reflecting Jesus to them? When I'm wrong, do I repent? Do I say I'm sorry? And it's all these things. And whatever section of scripture you choose, it's going to mess you up, and it is awesome. Because it's supposed to. As we close... I want to tell you about my favorite preacher and pastor I've ever known. This might shock you. His name is Jesus. He said he's God. He's the only major religious leader in the history of the world to declare himself to be God. He said he was God with his words and he showed he was God with his deeds. He performed miracles, he healed people, and his greatest miracle was rising from the dead. He's the only person who's ever fully, thoroughly and totally conquered death in the history of the world. And until you invite Jesus Christ to deal with your sin problem, you're completely on your own trying to handle that, plus all your other problems. However, once you accept Jesus' works on your behalf and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my God. Reconcile me to the God who made me. Now God is there to help you with all of your problems And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never given your sin to Jesus, if you've never trusted in Jesus, and you've never received Jesus, that's why we're here. That's why we're all here, so you can do that today, so that you can belong to God through Jesus Christ. That's why he came, he lived, and he died, and rose to conquer death, because he loved you that much, and he wants you to be in a loving relationship with the living God Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we full-out admit that this is not a church filled with perfect people, and you know how far we've truly fallen from your original design. Lord, I pray for the conversations that will arise from Paul's words. Have we been honoring our pastors as we should? Have we been hard-hearted, slow to repent, quick to dismiss, and self-righteous? If so, we ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to us individually and corporately. Pastors and preachers strive to do their very best for the flock that you have entrusted to them. So we ask that you, Lord, would bless them with wisdom, patience, and an abundance of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.